0: the night, ran through the dark streets of Columbia, stopping and hiding and then running again until he got to the doctor's home and then the doctor was able to summon an ambulance and get the woman safely to the hospital to have her baby. And that, according to family lore, is the story of how my sister was born. Now, it's a true story. We love to tell that story one day your dad's a mild-mannered geophysicist on his one-year assignment overseas and then night falls and he's superhero we just love to tell that story well my sister uh sorry there my sister uh when she was adu- an adult she had to decide uh, on citizenship you have to claim your citizenship when you're born out of the country so she could either choose Colombian, American, or she could claim dual citizenship. Now, dual citizenship has some privileges. You have two passports. That's always good. You can do things in both countries that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do. But it has a cost, too, because when you have dual privileges, you pay dual taxes, And if you're in military service in one country that gets crossways with the other country, you can have citizenships that are in conflict, and it can be a problem for you. Well, today we are in a series on Philippians looking at citizenship, and how to be citizens of heaven. The passage we're going to look at today in chapter 1, is guiding us from last week from the truth of the gospel into what it means to act as a citizen of heaven right now in the day today how do we declare our heavenly citizenship over dual citizenship so that Christ gets all the glory how do we honor Christ in the way we live how do we honor him in the face of death and how do heavenly citizens honor Christ with our unity as believers? That's what we're going to consider this morning in Philippians 1:19 through30. Let's pray. Father, we, we are citizens of heaven, and yet we often forget that. Use this passage of Scripture today to remind us of the privileges. Of heaven and transform us to live more like citizens of heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get into this passage, we need to talk a little bit more about citizenship, this idea, why it's so important, why Paul uses the metaphor of citizenship, not only in this passage, but also later in the book in chapter three. Um, Philippi was a Roman colony that our commonwealth that means that they didn't start out roman but there was a battle that won them uh victory for rome and so the citizens of philippi had most of the same privileges of a citizen of rome and this was really really important pretty much any privilege that you and i share today like buying and selling land and uh and in having um the privilege of marrying whoever we want, those things, those are all privileges of Rome, and so, so many more. And the officers of the battle who won, the officers in the battle who won that uh, war, those men were given land in Philippi. So the whole region of Philippi was settled by military families. And they were very proud, understandably so, of their hard-earned citizenship. In some ways, it defined who they were to themselves and also to people on the outside who were not citizens. Citizenship mattered to everyone. And this was who Paul had in mind as he wrote the Philippian letter. I believe most of us here are United States citizens, and it's gotten increasingly difficult to take that lightly. Depending on your view, we're all on a spectrum somewhere between this is the greatest country in the world and how did we end up here? Being an American citizen today, in today's climate, assumes a dual citizenship with every word spoken or posted scrutinized to figure out who's left or right so they can know where they fit or they don't. It's sometimes shows up in the church, where some want to connect what they perceive to be a church's politics with theology to label a church conservative or liberal or progressive based on how much they talk about protecting the unborn or justice or racial reconciliation, all things that heavenly citizens must talk about. It's a watchdog climate, right? Right? full of suspicion on every side. But the way we live in polarity, the way we hold our non-doctrinal differences, our way of life could actually be the best opportunity for Christ's ministry of reconciliation that we as citizens of heaven are called to represent. We're in a good time for the gospel. Paul's going to reorient the Philippians' view of citizenship and our view of citizenship as well. And let me tell you, as we get into this passage, this is advanced Christianity. Somebody gave it that title. I agree completely. What we're going to talk about today is it's challenging. The Philippian church was about 12 to 15 years old when this letter was written. All new believers. Trinity Fellowship turns, I believe, 43 this year. We are ready by Christ and his work among us. We are ready, more than ready maybe, to hear this message today. So let's start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible, turn it, Turn there. How do we as citizens of heaven honor Christ? ...by living a completely new way of life. Citizens of heaven have a set of privileges that are life-altering. And so mind-boggling that Paul has to explain them, starting with the word for in verse 19. But then again and again, in almost every verse in this passage... Paul says something, and then he explains it. He says it, he explains it. Why? Because apart from the gospel, this makes no sense. But because of Christ, and his name is repeated almost every single verse as well in this passage, The power, in the power of the Spirit, we have a completely new way of life. And Paul models that new way of life. For all, all for the purpose of bringing honor to Christ. Here's how a citizen of heaven, all citizens of heaven, can live. Verses 19 and 20. If you have it, look at it. Well, starting at verse 18, we rejoice. Joy in any circumstance. Verse 19, we pray. We're talking to God. Verse 19, we depend. We ask for help. We know we need it and we accept it. Verse 20, we live eagerly. We're excited. We're eager about our faith. Verse 20, we live expectantly. We have hope. Verse 20, we live without shame. He is the lifter of our head. In verse 20, we live with courage. We live with boldness for Christ. So which of these privileges are you enjoying? Not trying to conjure up, but enjoying today. Which will you commit to enjoying today? To let those around you see the greatness of Christ. Well, we ask every growing disciple at Trinity Fellowship Church to know others and to be known in small groups. They're called connection groups. And we have men's and women's and Youth and children's and home groups. Almost everyone in our body is in a connection group. Praise God. If you aren't, talk to me about that. I'll be happy to help you. But what would your group meeting be like if every member showed up committed by grace to living out in just, in a new way, just one of these privileges? Just one. What if the person who doesn't ever say much came eager to tell what Christ is doing in their lives? What if the insecure person leads the meeting not out of a need to prove something, but out of a humility that gives courage? And here's the thing. Living out the privileges of the gospel doesn't depend on your Enneagram number. In fact, they enable you to glorify Christ even more by doing something you wouldn't normally be able to do at all, except for Christ's power alive in you. Now, I think the Enneagram can be helpful. I really do. But I also think it can be limiting. There are no limits to the privileges of a citizen of heaven. Anybody's group want to try this? I can tell you this. It will be a group that I would want to be a part of. That group won't deny any of the difficulties of life. In fact, that will be what makes it so surprising. That because of Christ, this group can hold each other's sorrows in a way that doesn't drag them down, but lifts them up toward Jesus. When someone shares a struggle, it won't be a weight. That group will enter that struggle together, and then they'll look to Jesus. And as citizens of heaven, they will pray, and they'll rejoice. They'll have expectation and eagerness that Christ is making things new. And it will be a taste of heaven. And this kind of group, if others get to see it, will be attractive to them, those who are not yet citizens of heaven. Invite someone who's not a believer to some kind of event that's appropriate for that, maybe a just a dinner that your group has, or if you want to serve together, invite someone who's not a believer to come and just be with you and let them look at how you interact and let them be amazed. Let them ask, how how is this possible? These people are they're all they all seem very different, but something's different about them as a group, the way they're relating. Who is this Jesus? Throughout the gospels, people were drawn to Jesus because of the way he related to others, which was most often a way of attraction, of beauty. And this way of life honors Christ when people scratch their heads and say, what is different about them? What is that church doing? Let those in your sphere of influence, where you are, where God has you, let them see and hear what's different and attractive about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a new life, a new way of life that honors Christ, but as citizens of heaven, we also live out a new way to view death. In verse 20, at the end of the verse, Paul qualifies his desire to honor Christ. It is by life or by death. And then in verse 21, that famous verse, we all know it, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain Death is something we don't like to talk about much. We don't talk about it much in church. In fact, some of you are hoping you won't, Diana won't keep talking about that, and we can move on to the next thing. We spend a lot of time and money and energy trying to avoid or at least delay death. A few weeks ago, I went to North Carolina to attend a service and several other gatherings to honor a man whose life impacted tens of thousands of people all over the world over the course of his 76 years. He was an author and a speaker, but I knew him as Larry, the man whose conversations with me and with John and even a little girl at the time named Emily had such a profound impact on my life. The most amazing thing was how everyone there had similar stories to mine. Everyone there had had multiple conversations and phone calls and notes from Larry where he was fully focused on them. His family had the most stories of that of everyone. Larry would ask curious questions. He'd expose sin in human hearts. And then, with a boldness that was deeply kind, he'd point them straight into the remarkable love of Jesus Christ. And he'd go along with them just for the ride. I couldn't help but compare the end of Larry's life with the stained legacy of a number of other high profile Christians and pastors for grace. There go I. But I can tell you that Larry lived like a citizen of heaven. He wasn't a super Christian. He struggled deeply and openly in his faith, honest about the temptations to live in dual citizenship, to curve in on himself. But he lived in the privileges of heavenly citizenship. And until his death, he never quit following Jesus and bringing others along with him. Larry had cancer for 25 years, and he lived with a view of death. When he knew death was very near. He kept a journal of those last few weeks. Here's one entry near the end. Weak beyond description. Reaching for a pen seems like a terrible chore. Yet I am comfortable, not at all depressed, just eager, from verse 19, just eager for heaven. I feel more certain of heaven when I die. Expectation. I can't imagine what heaven will be like. I suppose it's intended to be beyond my fondest and wildest imagination, of which I have little, maybe none. A new body is promised. That sounds wonderful. Come back, Lord Jesus. I am ready. Come back. If not, death sounds wonderful. How did Larry do that? How does our citizenship in heaven give us a new view of death, one that comes not out of a need to escape, but from a genuine longing in our heart to see the face of Jesus. How did Paul do that? He says in verse 23 that departing to be with Christ is far better. Actually, in the Greek, it's three superlatives, very far better. How do we have a view of death like that? Well, my friend Larry hated checklists, so this is not that. But here's three ways that I think we can move towards a different view of death. First of all, right now, wherever you are, be where you are. I know it's silly, but I try to pretend sometimes with God, and I think you probably do too. Be where you are. Number two, talk a lot. Talk to someone who you know will not try to fix you, Or point you in a self-help direction. Or pity you. Talk to someone who is honest and caring. And then, and mostly, talk to God. And keep talking and talking and talking. Don't stop talking to God. And as you're talking to God, have your Bible right there. And every once in a while, take a breath. And open your Bible and let his word speak in to the conversation. Be where you are. Talk to others and to God. And hold, number three, hold truth. Hold the truths of the gospel. Hold them tightly. And let go of anything that would draw you away to another gospel, a false gospel. Hold on to the truths of the gospel. Over time, it's a process. For Larry, it was 76 years. You'll have a different view of death, one that more fully reveals our citizenship in heaven. The desire of a citizen of heaven is not to die. It's to see Jesus. We have a different view of death. It's not that you'll want to die, but you won't fear it. Well, citizens of heaven live a new way of life, have a new view of death, and in verses 27 through 30, we honor Christ with a new unity of purpose. Verse 27. "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." The new living translation that Gary read is more close is closer to the Greek text here it actually uses the word from which we get our word politics. He really is saying, he's really making a reference to that citizenship here. The metaphor here is to live your life as a heavenly citizen. Paul uses this metaphor to address unity because he knows the privileges of Roman citizenship are inherently divisive. You're either in or you're out. As great as they were, they were inherently divisive. When we put political views ahead of gospel truths, we will be divided. It is inevitable. Contrast that with Isaiah 25, 6, a picture of the unity of heaven where on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. The church right now gets to advance the kingdom of heaven with tastes of an amazing unity. And in verses 27 through 29, the church, this church, ought to have a reputation for a distinct kind of unity. People ought to be talking about us. Those who see it will find it remarkable that we stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, side by side for the gospel. Paul uses four different ways to say it. Get together. And this is the way we spread the gospel of Christ, our reconciler, especially in a culture so divided. We have an adult ministry class wrapping up right now. It was based on Colossians 117, Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. It was a practice of reading scripture and praying together and then letting the gospel guide us through conversations about some pretty strong political differences. It was pretty great. And I've had several opportunities to tell unbelievers about this and you would not believe the reaction I get. They are so interested. They have a lot of questions. Wait, you have political conversations? You have different views in an evangelical church? And you actually determine to talk about them? And you're more unified when you leave than when you came? What? Tell me more. And immediately what what might shut down a conversation, bringing Christ into it, opens up a lot more questions. The The unity that we have is a powerful statement, a powerful statement to a pol- pol- polarized world, especially when we don't all agree. Well, talk to me about any of, if, if any of you would like to be a part of a group like that, we're going to try to start this uh, process over again. But we also have some people who are being trained to lead threaded groups toward racial reconciliation. And we have different views on that topic too, don't we? Will we let the gospel of Jesus Christ unite us to face together a topic that the church has a poor history of facing together well? Will we listen with humility to one another? Will we, will we be willing to hear to see how a citizen of heaven is called to respond to injustice? If we take seriously the mission of the church to advance the kingdom in unity, we must, as citizens of heaven, let issues like this bring us together, not divide us. We must be focused and grounded on the truths that we're about to recite in a few minutes in the Nicene Creed, honoring Christ above all, without letting our disagreements about other things disrupt our unity. And in this way, we become a community of what Second Corinthians 5.18 calls ministers of reconciliation. We become a church that is a reconciling community. Author and pastor David M. Bailey puts it this way, when a reconciling community acknowledges the depth of brokenness in our world, it actively participates in God's invitation to bring healing to the brokenness. It is a transformational journey to become a reconciling community. And our unity as a reconciling community is explained and even increased, Paul says in verse 29, by two gifts of grace that we've all received. The gift of faith, we all like that gift a lot, and the gift of suffering. Wait a minute, wait a minute, could we just have double faith? But Paul says no. Verse 29 through 30, the gift of suffering is from the same grace as the gift of faith. Both are shared by every believer. Both grow our intimacy with Christ. And both are opportunities to give the witness of unity to a kingdom of grace. In my own life, I am learning to pray differently for someone who is suffering. I pray for relief because that's compassion. But I've started thanking God for what he is doing in the suffering. How he is meeting this person in new ways that draw their hearts out of a demand for relief and into a peace and joy that comes not from changing things, but from knowing the depths of the love and fellowship of Jesus Christ more deeply in the pain. A citizen of heaven will suffer. Christ did. Paul did. The Philippians did. And we do. If we believe it is as much a gift of grace as faith is, then we will let it do what faith does. We will let it bring glory to Jesus Christ as he meets us there and gives us strength and grows our unity. Well, my sister, when she became an adult, you all want to know what she chose, right? Okay. She chose American citizenship. She declared that she would give up the option of dual citizenship and place her allegiance fully in one place. If you are not yet a citizen of heaven, I have good news for you. There are no lengthy processes or expensive legal issues. King Jesus has finished everything needed for you to become a citizen. If you would release your claim to dual citizenship and put your faith in him alone, you can do that right now. And I would be happy to talk with you more about that, if that would be helpful. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Your allegiance is to Christ and you have all the privileges he offers. You have a new way of life. We have a new view of death and a new unity with one another, especially when we disagree. There is no greater honor we can give to Jesus Christ than to live together in these privileges a vibrant and distinctive and reconciling community. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let me close with a prayer Dallas Willard prayed over his classes as he was nearing the end of his life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would have a rich life of joy and power. Abundant in supernatural results, with a constant, clear vision of never-ending life in God's world before us, and the everlasting significance of our work day by day, a radiant life and a radiant death. In Jesus' name, amen.